Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Decoding the music industry. Hi everyone. Um, I'm Sophia. I'm the chief community officer here at Beatport. This is the fourth in our series of panels that we're running uh, around decoding the music industry, and this. One tonight is hosted by AFEM and they'll be reviewing the festival season. And these panels happen on the last Thursday of every month. So please come by again if you would like to come by. And I'll just hand over to Finlay. Thanks very much. Thanks for coming down, everyone. It's lovely to be here. And thank you to Beatport for hosting us. My name is Finlay Johnson. I'm the CEO of the Association for Electronic Music. And uh, we have 280 members in 25 countries all over the world. And we represent interests and best practice for everyone involved in the electronic music scene. As part of that work, we have a live sector group made up of promoters, managers, agents, and we often have conversations at the end of the summer about uh, how it's gone, what have we learned, what are the trends for next year. And it occurred to us that actually it stays in that room sometimes. And what we want to do is talk about it, showcase it, and have it available for afterwards for upcoming artists, upcoming promoters, and have that a learning and that knowledge to go into next year and, and see where it takes us. So that's why it's so important that we're here today. And thanks again to Beatport for hosting us to allow us to, to share that. So that's who I am and that's who we are. I'd now like to pass over to our lovely panel. If we could start at the end and just tell us who you are, who you work for and what do you do? So my name is Jack. Um, I wasn't on the original poster. It was supposed to be Duncan, who texted me a picture of a COVID test three hours ago. So if you see me looking at my phone, it's because I'm looking at things he sent me. Okay, uh, so apologies in advance on that one. But I'm Jack. I'm the senior BDM at Skiddle. Obviously, we sell tickets for everything from festivals to, to ice rinks, anything you can imagine. So, yeah. My name is Josh. Um, I'm a director at Hospital Records Limited, um, which is a kind of record label promoter, talent booking agency, publisher, a few bits and bobs. Kind of been a promoter most of my life, uh, kind of just doing events uh, in all sorts of formats. Um, I think I'm the only promoter on the panel, uh, <laughs> which is a bit of a strange position to be in. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess my my view and understanding of Festivals, at least my own experience of it, is um, broad, but also quite relatively small in comparison to the entire kind of you know festival world. Because my festivals are are in comparison to a lot of others a bit smaller. But um, yeah, I'm really grateful to be here and uh, excited to talk. Don't undersell yourself there. Come on. And you're going to smash it, Jack, don't worry. Um, hi there, uh, my name's Nikki McNeil. Um, I run a company called Global Publicity, uh, which is a PR company specialising in promoting events and festivals. I have a lot of clients all over Europe. Uh, you might know Amsterdam Dance Event coming up. So I do a lot of industry conferences and mainly festivals in Europe. So hopefully I'll be able to give my perspective on that for you today. That's great. I don't think it would be a review of the summer festival season if there wasn't a COVID cancellation. I think that's very in keeping with the trend. So we wish Duncan all the best and hope he's better soon. So let's start with the person who I think has the most stressful job of the four of us. They might disagree, but uh, certainly in my opinion, Josh, you do club events all over UK and Europe. You've got them international festivals. What is the vibe? How's it gone for you? Have you found this summer generally? Um, I mean, this summer 
actually, despite a lot of kind of, you know, uh, the, the sort of wider cons consensus has actually been really good for us. Um, our two sort of key flagship projects that, you know, are 100% us, uh, Hospitality in the Woods and um, Hospitality on the Beach, both sold out, which was really good. And bearing in mind that the year before that, um, there was still quite a lot of, a lot more sort of uncertainty here on covid um, a lot, a, a lot more issues going on, plus a load of other issues that contributed to 2021 being significantly more stressful. Some of which we can kind of go through le later. But it was a good year, you know. Some wins, some losses. Um, I don't think any promoter would say it's all wins. Um, we also were involved. We've also partnered in a project called Project Six, which was on Brockwell Park, which was a, a sort of new project for us, which you know went okay. Uh, but yeah, it's been been a good year. There's it's the the, the market and the world and the, the the festival world, at least certainly the parts that I'm involved in, is changing quite rapidly. But um, not necessarily in a bad year. So I'm I'm quite optimistic about this year actually. That's great. And Jack, how has it been from a ticketing perspective? And I'm interested specifically in terms of the makeup of tickets sold from clubs compared to festivals. We know there's a pressure on grassroots clubs. Is that reflective in sales? How does that look? Yeah, so with ticketing, obviously Skiddle, to start with, has had a really good festival season. Um, however, there has been difficulties with weather this year. Um, so what we've seen is some really, really, really successful festivals, really targeting it on the, the new age of people who may not have experienced one yet. But then also, you know, the weather has really thrown um, a spanner in a lot of people's, a lot of cancellations last minute, a lot of last minute sales. Um, a lot of people waiting for weather forecasts. I think since COVID, um, people hang off the news a lot more. Um, so it has made sales later and harder to come by for some promoters. Um, but in terms of, of clubs compared to festivals, I think clubs have really, really had to hammer late last minute sales. Um, I think up to 30% of club shows are selling all of their, well, a big majority of their tickets in the last 10 days. Um, which obviously for promoters is difficult and for, for ticket agents, you know, that they're looking to point the finger. So at Skiddle, all we've tried to do is support them and get extra promo, make sure hitting the right people. But as a whole, you know, a successful summer going in and then really positive signs looking into next year for the people who've gone on sale nice and early. That late ticket buying trend, that's an audience behaviour. Is there anything that either of you can do to try and affect change that? Can you influence it at all? Yeah, I mean, as a company, we've tried to install every kind of option for, for customers. So we've partnered with things like PayPal. We do our own payment plans. You know, we do early bird offer, passworded, you know, pre-sales. We've tried to cover everything. I think PayPal's been a really good one because what that gives the ability for a customer to do is spread the cost of a festival the day before the festival, whereas generic kind of payment plans run for six months or whatever. PayPal, we they run a pay-in-3 system, so they guarantee the money to the promoter. However, the customer can pay off the next three months after the festival. So that's been really positive, especially in younger people who now don't carry a bank card anywhere. So Apple Pay and, and PayPal's been really strong, really. That's great. And Nicky, you work with lots of international festivals. There's now more choice than ever. There's like 600 alone in the UK. What sort of advice are you giving to festivals when you're talking about their offerings to the UK customer? And they've got to compete with these UK ones, and then it's abroad. 
I mean, yeah, it's difficult. There's a lot of competition. Uh, a lot of international festivals still see the UK market as a lucrative market. They want the British pound. They want the tourists there. Um, I think the UK audience are kind of adventurous as well. Often they're very early adopters going to different countries and strange places. They're willing to go and try something new and exciting. Um, you know, I, I'm feeling that Festivals have to offer more these days. You know, it's, it's still the experience of it is important. Are you mixing a festival with a city break? Are you mixing it with a beach holiday? Um, you know, what else is on offer? Uh, and I think uh, customers uh, are demanding more these days. They really want more for their money. Uh, so the experience is definitely more important. Um, obviously, flight costs are, are really getting in the way of a lot of um, festivals as well because they might think it's a cheap ticket to, you know, an event in Albania or Croatia but then by the time they look at the flights, they might then change their mind. So that could be a barrier to them going on the festival, even though they think the lineup and, you know, the trip and the ticket is actually cheaper than a UK offering. Um, you know, when they're promoting as well, um, you know, there's a lot of competition for press and journalists as well. Um, I've definitely noticed uh, an increase in marketing deals becoming more important, um, you know, to gain coverage for your events. Um, if any of you were at IMS, uh, Sean Ronaldo highlighted this on his panel, which was quite of a, a bit of a heated discussion there. Um, obviously, when you're looking to bring journalists to your event as well, there's a lot of competition for that. So you've got to get in there first to get those journalists before they've been, you know, um, agreed to go to another festival. So you're competing on that kind of level as well. I think that's really interesting. And that relates, Josh, to, I guess, hospitality on the beach as well. What, how does it differ what you offer over there? Do you have to think about packages and, and hotels and flights, are you able to kind of impact that or affect that at all in terms of how you offer it to the to the customer? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the hospitality on the beach, I mean, what we're ultimately selling is is a holiday with, with a rave um, and then any other parts within that that you can then create a better experience for the customer, hopefully with a an element of monetization within that is beneficial. But, you know, I mean, our show and his now, works very differently to, for example, the show that we did in Albania the year before, whereby in that event, there's so much more to the customer journey in terms of transfers and additional boats. And, uh, you know, each part of that journey costs you to put on. And so subsequently, you have to put a charge against it. And subsequently, you you know, you charge people a little bit more. But those parties that we do, for me, are my favourite personally, just because um, they're small capacity or relatively small capacity, like three and a half thousand people. And... We'll talk about what Wes said a little bit later about um, uh, about his Croatian festival because we, we we do the same site. But you know, over seven days, if you've got three and a half thousand people, then you can kind of guarantee that by the end of the week they're all there for one reason and they're following a very specific type of music. So you can almost guarantee that friendships, relationships, you know, marriages <laughs> are kind of built on that kind of social dynamic. So yeah, it's it's uh, also my, my music specifically because it's drum bass music it it's normally like an eight hour sprint and and if you're there for kind of seven days by the end you just get this kind of lovely like floaty energy and it's just really nice that sounds lovely i think when you're programming like that and it's about the experience and the holiday component can you take more risks with with how you're booking and programming and and do you look at things like a tiktok viral hit as being significant or is it more about the ticket pattern and what they've sold at club venues previously does that does that does that more influence your your programming yeah i mean it was tricky because we we program hospitality on the beach in kind of 
two-year cycles. So I generally kind of know like who the stage host specifically going to be before one year has taken place just because we kind of rotate a lot of the people we work with widely. I mean, TikTok, we could talk for hours and hours and hours about how TikTok has changed things. And um, yes, of course, you do uh, listen to or watch and review TikTok moments and you obviously kind of, there's times when a TikTok trend is huge I think there's also a lot of promoters and a lot of people that are probably going to get burned quite heavily by overly investing in that sort of thing that doesn't hasn't yet cultivated a massive fan base. That's not to say it's everyone because there's obvious, you know, examples of people that have absolutely ballooned and built an audience. But you know, it's it's made signing artists harder because you know the majors see like a you know a, a TikTok moment and they go straight in. Um, and but in some ways it's kind of made booking easier because, mm. you know, some competitors or whatever might see that and they take that artist away and then a big portion of their budget is gone and then we can kind of <laughs> go the other direction. So it's uh, it, it has changed things for sure. But I think you still need the artistry to back it up as well. You need to kind of come after that hit with more music ultimately, you know. Exactly. You still have to DJ. Um, so Jack, we've heard about the squeeze on economics and how that's impacted the type of ticket that's sold are you seeing any patterns in terms of the ticket price? Like are certain high-end tickets going for going first and then small, you know, lower cost tickets going later? How is that how is that playing out for you? I mean, as a whole, um, we've been doing we've been at loads of freshers fairs in the last kind of couple of weeks. And we've been doing some customer analysis. And what we've found from the from the new generation is that you know students used to go out three nights a week, four nights a week. Now they'll go out once a month and they'll go to a 60, 70 quid rave festival or whatever because they were the first time they went out was to a festival two years ago or whatever that was. They're so used to the big experience that they only go after the, the big things. There is pockets, of course, that like underground stuff, but the majority want the big lineups, the big production, the big festivals. So... In terms of the, the high-end ticket cost, they're okay with it, but they're doing it far less frequently, which is making tickets harder to come by for for everyone, really. Um, but there is there is signs from from who we've spoken to that the new age of underground dance fans are coming back a lot stronger, um, and they do still love going out. We've just got to hunt for them tickets. I think it's also the the DJs that will fill those raves. They have to get their start somewhere and it needs to be those smaller clubs to learn their craft. And there's a potentially a missing link that we have to look at to, to try and strengthen that, I think. Yeah, I think especially in, in electronic music and, and live music, you know, they both need them grassroots um, venues, which are really struggling. And we're, we're doing what we can to help and whether it be promo and stuff from our side. But I think the, the conversation needs to be a lot wider. And I think a really beautiful thing about Skiddle is we pick these artists up playing 50 cap venues to the friends realistically and we can see their journey from 12 years ago i mean there's a really interesting one of patrick topping about nine years ago played to 30 people in stoke and now of course you know he's playing to 20 30 000 at festivals and we can see that through our data so it's so important having them venues and them djs artists bands whatever building that audience and if there's no venues for to do it other than festival little stages then it's not going to work is it mm. Absolutely. And Nikki, we've seen, I think, some fourth walls being broken this year. Skrillex is doing uh, Berkheim soon. We've seen some big festivals booking underground artists on the main stages. 
Do you think there's less snobbery around uh, certain genres these days, or do you feel like the audience is just growing for electronic music and actually it's just much more expansive as a as a as an audience? Ooh, big question. Um, I think you've probably everyone here has probably seen more electronic artists now performing on the main stage at huge festivals all around the world. So there seems to be a much more acceptance of those artists moving from the dance arena to the main stage. Um, you know, David Guetta's an example of this. Um, I remember seeing Avicii on the main stage at Ziegert Festival years ago. It's one of the first electronic artists I saw on the main stage. And I was like, oh, what's happening here? It was just kind of a new thing. Um, I mean, this year I've, I've seen Charlotte DeWitt playing the main stage, the Alpha stage at Lowlands, attracting one of the biggest crowds for an electronic artist ever. It was insane. And then equally, Martin Garrett was playing at an event in Munich where they had the Munich um, Olympic stage as the main stage. And he filled the stage as... Imagine Dragons did the night after. So they're pulling in the crowds, you know. And one thing I must admit I noticed you say about the snobbery, when you're walking through the crowds when these acts are on, everyone's just happy. They're not thinking, is it a DJ? Is he playing? Is he not playing? They're just thinking, I love the atmosphere, I love the music, and you can just see the happy faces. So it just seems to be working. And does that make your job more difficult in terms of broadening out the types of press you're looking for and trying to expand outside of traditional, traditional outlets? I mean, definitely having electronic artists on a festival lineup does widen up your reach to kind of a lot of different artists, different media rather. Um, you know, there are a lot of media writing about electronic music, so it's a good space to be in. <laughs> Lots of opportunities. And obviously there's the growth of all the uh, electronic Instagram pages and the TikTok pages, but let's not talk about those. But, you know, there, there, it does open up a different audience for you to market to, for sure. That's interesting. And... Um, Josh, you referenced uh, Western Defected's kind of Twitter uh, thread earlier about rising costs, more increased artist fees. How does that play into your ticket prices? Do you think that if the offering is right, the consumer, the fan will pay it? Or are you thinking, you know what, we need to cut a day off this festival and shorten it, make it cheaper? How do you navigate that? And how do you decide which part is worth paying extra for and which to kind of cut loose if you can to try and make that, that ticket price affordable for the average fan? Well, fundamentally, I think Wes is a friend and I think he's an incredible businessman and I think his approach on stuff is uh, more often than not right. And I think where he absolutely is right is that, uh, you know, production costs, not in Tisno, which I think was the festival that he was referencing in, in that post, but, you know, for example, our production costs for a UK festival for pretty much exactly the same show rose by 40%. So, you know, you're you can't put your ticket price up by 40%. Everybody expects ticket prices to go up a little bit, but certainly not by 40%. On that point specifically, uh, I took the opposite approach to Wes, which was I made the same festival day longer. <laughs> and and the, the reason I did that was because I kept the ticket price the same, made it a day longer, but crucially, I think where it may have been different for Wes and it was different for me, I, I didn't book any extra talent. I just made everybody else stay a day longer. <laughs> uh, and what that meant was that, you know, a £200 ticket, which is what it costs, it meant that, you know, if you're coming from the US or if you're coming from New Zealand or, or whatever, and we had, you know, 8% of our ticket buyers come from New Zealand, which is insane, you know, that's such a long way. And uh, uh, it just meant that, you know, they had seven days. That's like a, that's a long time, right? You can actually properly build a holiday around it. Um, so 
something does have to give, right? Something something does have to change. Fundamentally, Wes's points were correct. I just kind of looked at the same problem and just came up with an alternative solution. I think we, a lot of us will have seen the footage from Burning Man, uh, people struggling to get out. I was at Sonar this year and they've now got a, a kind of tent over the main stage because it's too hot in the daytime. So we're seeing climate impacting festivals. Uh, Nikki, have you seen, have you had conversations with promoters about what they can do about this? You work with Digital Festival, they've got kind of ideas around this. How do you um, approach that conversation and is it something that is on their minds and is, is high profile enough, do you think? I mean, it's a difficult one because there are always going to be more natural disasters now. We've seen lots of floods and things impacting a lot of festivals. But kind of going back to uh, what uh, the audience is wanting and demanding, there are a lot of people that want to go to festivals that match their ethos now. So if the festival has a sustainability uh, programme or angle, then that matches their ethos and they may choose to go to that festival over something else. So these things are becoming more important. Digital is one who they are a leader in Holland. They've been winning awards for many years now. So uh, there's a company called a Greener, uh, Greener Future who do assessments of festivals. So you can get uh, advice and they can look at your carbon footprint. I think you mentioned a recent report they did um, on their carbon footprints and how a lot of festivals, uh, the, the data kind of suggests that their carbon footprint is leading to actually the festival goers travel. But it's also linked to many other things as well, like your... Um, your waste, your water, the energy use. Uh, I mean, I work with a festival, uh, Lowlands. They actually built the largest solar panel carport. So where all the people go to car, uh, park their cars every year, they've built this amazing solar panel carport. So it can be used to power the festival um, and also power uh, the region when it's not the festival time. So there are lots of different innovations like that. Um, some other resources people may be interested in is the uh, Europe's European Festival Roadmap. Uh, these are all free resources online, so you can go to the Europe's uh, website and the Greener Future website, and they'll give you a lot of information. You've probably um, seen Blondish doing a lot of beach cleans, clean to the beat. You know, they've done beach cleans, they've done canal cleans, um, and they work with a company called Bye Bye Plastic. So I think there are a lot of festivals trying to do a lot of things. Um, it, but it's hard for me to say, really, because I love the electronic music industry, but I do feel that there's more going on in the more live side. Um, you know, so I'd really love to see more of the electronic music festivals trying to put some innovations in and kind of seeing what they can do. Well, what I would add to that on a, you know, slightly more brutal business sense. I mean, all, all, all of this needs to be discussed as well. I'm not, I, I, I certainly don't mean to uh, you know, minimise the point, but I'm sure it hasn't gone unnoticed that there are now a lot more festivals in September, right? And that's because it's now warmer in September. And, you know, there's just, people are taking advantage of this at this point. It's a strange time. And me, meanwhile, concurrently, you know, the, the reverse of that is we were spending a long time trying to put together a, a ski festival in March. And then I pulled it because there's just no snow. And then like, you know, this is a depressing fact like all of these things they need to be discussed as well but obviously you know a lot of promoters are also you know want to earn a few quid <laughs> and so that you know they'll, they'll try to take advantage of it djs and their private jets <laughs> absolutely do you have to have these conversations as well jack with the promoters and say what is your you know your bad weather plan basically yeah i mean as a ticket outlet you know snow snow uh 
lie that we have to pay this money out in advance to a lot of festival owners and um, that can leave us you know upwards of millions of pounds of customers money no longer in our account and into the promoter's account so we have to be you know we have to do due diligence on anyone we sign up with obviously there are things that they cannot control i mean this year we've had way too many than that we could explain of severe weather and you know really unfortunate policing situations where the police are getting involved and being pulled an hour before the doors open and there's six thousand people outside waiting to party that in itself is a bad mistake because where are them six thousand people going to go they're all going to go to the local pub um th there's a lot of things that our finance team do constantly and i think this year we've definitely seen the benefits of event insurance um I would say all of them that have been cancelled have had full cancellation payouts, including staging um, with us. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, definitely impacted. And, and like you just mentioned, festival season's never been longer. Um, it's now, you know, running into the end of September, like you mentioned, which makes our logistical stuff with scanners and stuff a little bit tricky. But, you know, it's something that it's not easy, but we've just got to be on top of it as much as we can, really. Before the start, we were talking about the on-sale dates getting earlier and earlier, and, and sometimes the artists aren't necessarily booked. Do you, is that a trend you think is going to continue? Is it something you're encouraging promoters to do? Yeah, I mean, as a whole, the signs for next year of people who've gone on sale are, are really, really positive. Um, they may just be loyal fans or taking advantage of payment plans or whatever, but they're a lot more positive than this time last year Um across the board really but it's how long that them trends go for what we have noticed is sales used to be i mean you're probably the person to talk to but sales used to be really consistent and now they're just big spikes and big drop-offs um as a whole obviously every event's different every event's promoted differently but they've got to capitalize on paydays more than ever really and and get the right market in at the right time and, and to that end, and you talk about the right marketing i think that the audiences are growing larger in terms of the the, the youngest person going and the oldest are you finding that the ones that are winning the events that are winning are they getting niche in terms of what they're offering or are they broad and trying to capture every age range i think every, yeah every event's different and i know it's a really diplomatic um answer but there's certain people who cater to absolutely everybody and they don't really care who's there as long as they're spending money and they've they have a good time but then there is festivals which which do things especially for that niche so th there's a bit of everything but i think towards the end of the summer when they still needed sales you notice slight tweets and artwork and things which maybe made it a little bit more easier on the eye or a little bit more family friendly or you know there was little things which, which we started to notice which just opened their their gates a little bit wider to get the last few sales in which is something that they've just had to do to, to pay the bills more than anything and have you seen that reflected in your events as well, Josh? Is the, is the age range growing or you get, is it getting younger? Because drum and bass is growing in popularity. So is, it, is the audience getting younger or just getting bigger? Um, for us, actually, the audience is, is getting older. But I, th I think primarily that's maybe just, you know, we're, we've been around a while now. And, uh, you know, our average age used to be kind of 22, 23. It's now kind of like actually more like anywhere between 27 and 35, which, is, you know, for in, in, in my world is 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 new i mean I, there are uh kind of newer brands that are clearly uh, harnessed a younger market maybe better than we than we, are, we are at the moment but that's a good thing you know because um it just means that you know there's just more people to it's good for the genre as well absolutely I think. Yeah. absolutely you know and, and and on that point as well you know payment plan tickets for us now are just key you know like 
audiences have less money and so being able to pay 15 pounds a month for a ticket is significantly better than paying 70 or 200 or whatever whatever it is um but yeah the age range going up also helps because you know older people generally spend a little bit more money on the bar which can be quite helpful and are you thinking about your earnings times as well in the same way that that jack mentioned you going earlier and trying to secure talent earlier is is the booking window moving or staying the same well, it's not the same for everyone. It's absolutely not. I mean, I think we were discussing this before. I mean, a lot of people just used to kind of make sure they had a headliner and then or wait until they could get a headliner and launch then. I mean, for us, and, you know, our model is significantly different to other people, but our, our kind of ethos has always just been build an audience for us and then the talent can kind of work around what we do. It's always, you know, kind of be the alex ferguson type model and nobody is bigger than the team kind of scenario you know so like hopefully our festival should be able to definitely not ever be cancelled if someone cancels it's not relying on talent and it's certainly not relying on us on us having actually like confirmed a uh a lineup you know and you know for us my my absolute ambition as a promoter which i don't know if it'll ever happen before i'm like 100 years old and hopefully not doing this anymore it's just a sell out 100% of the festival without saying who's playing and then get there and it would be an amazing lineup. But, you know, we, we've got to the stage where we can often do 50% of our tickets before anybody knows who's playing, which is, that's what I'm trying to keep pushing and, 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 and doing, yeah. I think it speaks to the consumer trust, the fan trust. That's what you're looking to build more than anything rather than the loyalty to the artist, ultimately. Absolutely. I think, I think you know, there are, there's a lot of talent and I think there's like a lot of people listening to a lot of stuff, whereas before I think it was everybody listening to one thing, if you know what I mean. So like, I think actually just in my experience, they're kind of, you know, the niche sort of promoters on a smaller scale like outside of, you know, being able to just put Coldplay or whatever just to sell a billion tickets. But like, you know, like, you know, the niche things that are really developing fans that follow them for them, you know, like, you know, like house music all lifelong, you know, that, that, that like, affected are amazing at just building an audience for people who want to go to house music who want to, this house music to go there and it's just like you know it's just I think actually in our experience and not everyone's experience kind of uh making what you do a little bit clear identifiable and so people know what it is before you said who's playing is key wise words Can I ask him a question I just thought of something so to jump in I just wanted to ask you about repeat customers to events because I've noticed over the years with a lot of events we work on they used to be easier to get repeat customers but now people want new new the next thing the new exciting thing is that happening are you getting more repeat customers or are you having to work really hard to get the next new person coming in all the time yeah, I mean, we're always working hard to get new customers, uh, definitely. I think in terms of something new, <laughs> uh, that's uh, generally my position on that is uh, just do the same thing but somewhere else. <laughs> so then, uh, then you know, you're, 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 you're retaining that kind of, it's not just the same thing over and over again. In terms of like repeat customers, it's only actually been relatively recently that we've been able to kind of really zone in properly on that data, primarily because well, I'm using one to gauge and all the technology involved, but... You know, we've had, you know, we, we, we had one person go to 38 shows last year, which is, and then we found, we found out who that person was. I was like, oh my God, just come for free, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, retaining customers is obviously key. But um, yeah, you have to continue to update exactly what it is you're offering. And if you can't do that with the talent, because that might be difficult, you can't do that with, um, then you do it with location and kind of ethos. 
Yeah, I think well, first and foremost, we always try and try and show the you know the the promoters new events to their old customers. I think you know that's just standard practice. To be totally honest, you know we know they've been, we know they've had a good time. You may have been thirty eight times or, or once, but they know they know the setup and they 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 know the brand. Then they've made that correlation. That that's good, especially with younger people. That's what they need. They need to be. They need to be shown good good events, really, and we have to do that cleverly within the right algorithms and pockets and things like that. Um, it's something we try and do. I mean, what we have noticed is people a lot younger will tend to go to a few different things, but they will always kind of go back to them things. I think a really good example is people like yourselves who've been going for so long, people like Warehouse Project, things like that. They have people who've been going for years on years on years just because they've grown with the brand and they have that 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 connection to that brand from when they were 18, 19, 20. Everyone remembers the moments in music, don't they? So, you know, I think that's that's what we try and do, whether or not it always works, but in most cases it does. We're running in a short time, so I'm just going to ask one last question. Uh, we'd like to do this again next year, and we'd like to set a benchmark. If you've got one prediction for the end of summer 2024, and it can be social, cultural, economic, what would your prediction be for next year's festival review? That's really difficult. Uh, I mean, I did make some notes. So a few of my friends had said the issues they'd had, but obviously we want to be positive. So to be different then, I'm going to say that glamping is going to um, increase as an option for festivals, so it'd be a bit more luxury. Uh, <laughs> I think I think more, a number, of, there's a few more promoters, I think, to start with some bleak and then I'll, I'll end on some again. I think, I think there's a few more promoters that are quite likely to go bust just because things are changing and you need to, you need a real solid background and, and finances and, and, you know, I think, I think, I think there's still going to be a lot of, um, uh, there's still probably a few more casualties to come. I think there's going to be quite a lot of developments, continue to be more, you know, developments in the kind of ticket market and exactly how that works and uh, exactly how people uh, generate revenue streams for their festivals. And I think uh, you're going to get massive TikTok stars that sell loads of tickets and then you're going to get really expensive TikTok stars that sell none. Um, but that's kind of always the case. And the one question Duncan didn't leave me any notes on was this one. So uh, thanks, Duncan. But I think I'll give you a ticketing answer. Obviously, data tracking and everything is is key now. The way we track across TikTok and everything like that, a bit like what you said, I think the way you're going to consume ads is going to change a lot. Like you said, I think influencer marketing is going through the roof. There's going to be a lot more influencers at festivals who are using these clips to sell tickets next year. Um, as much as we probably don't want that, they're going to be there. And the way you're tracked and, and the funnels in, in marketing is, is definitely going to change a lot. That's great. I think it just remains then to please give our lovely panel a round of applause. Thank you so much. Cheers, guys. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Beatport presents. Decoding the music industry.